Today, we are joined by a repeat guest, a good friend of the podcast, Tyler Boer. Thanks for coming back on No Limits. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, it's been a while since we chatted about episodes three and four, and we didn't get to hear your take on the series as a whole. But before we get there, what's going on? What's new? What have you been up to? Uh, not too much. Just uh, trying to keep busy and uh, actually been staying busy you know, researching and looking at some stuff from the show and listening to the Terminal Wiz podcast with Jack Carr and just finding a lot of that behind the scenes information pretty interesting. And I'm pretty curious if uh, they're going to do a disc release of the Terminal List or not, because I think a disc release would hold a lot of the deleted scenes that they talk about in that podcast. But staying hopeful, but we'll see just because like Jack Ryan was an Amazon Prime show and it had a disc release for two seasons, but so far Reacher has not. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, that'd be pretty cool. Deleted scenes, even some outtakes would be pretty funny. Some bloopers if they got them. Just any sort of extra content. Yeah, there's a lot. It really seems like they were really tied to eight one-hour episodes because mm -hmm. there is a lot that they talk about that just absolutely sounds great and maybe would have added to the series. Um, after they kill um, Jack Carr, he's searching for that truck that he eventually finds to, right. to basically right. steal and... And I guess there's a deleted scene of them going through that parking garage and he's searching for a vehicle that he knows how to steal. That's and they right. filmed how to take the actual like ignition column off and and hotwire it correctly uh, because they have a big problem with movies just having two sparking <laughs> wires and then it starts. Right. So um, but there's a I lot of stuff like that. Yeah, there's yeah. A, there's a lot of things that got cut that I feel like would have added to the the feel of the show a bit. Another one is whenever he goes back to the team team room to get some gear and he notices all the cages are empty because everyone's dead from the first episode. And they yeah. said they like cut the music and everything. And it was like a somber moment. And then it's like back to work and the music kicked back off. And I, I wish they would have left some stuff like that in there. But all in all, I'm pretty pleased with how the uh, series played out. I've I've seen adaptations be butchered far, far worse. Oh, um, yeah. Like oh, you yeah. and I were talking about a little bit earlier. With, uh, you know, um, Olympus has fallen, butchering and basically copying and stealing some stories from some other novels we were talking about. Oh, so. yes. They ripped off Vince Flynn big time with that. Yeah. Yeah. It's good to see some. Uh, this this series just has a lot more reverence and respect and, and the way it's done than a lot of adaptations. Yeah. And unfortunately, a lot of the negative comments I heard, I don't think are very appreciative of that. And if you were trying to use that to cover up what actually is bad acting or bad stories or bad dialogue, yeah. then I'd have a problem with that. Like, oh, but it's so true to the book or it's really like the book can't really get you out of making just a terrible show. But to me, that's not the case here at all. It's the yeah. furthest thing from it. Yeah. And I mean, Jack has even said that he really likes a lot of the changes. And I was listening today to the Cleared Hot podcast, which is hosted by Andy Stumpf. He knows uh, Jack and the guest, Mike Glover, who owns uh, and uh, started Fieldcraft Survival. They um, were talking. They both know Jack and stuff. And um, they were just talking about the authenticity and the grounded feel of the show. And that, that there was a lot of stuff that your average viewer probably wouldn't see and appreciate, but that they were like looking for and noticed that, you know, just whenever they were watching action shows or movies that they always catch being messed up. Um, right. So it was cool to hear from them and see how much they appreciate it. I mean, of course, they're going to support their buddy, 
but uh, it seemed like they were pretty genuine in it. And something else I was going to ask you about, I have not seen a negative, other than critics, I have not seen a negative comment or review of the show from a non-book reader. Mm. So people who didn't read the book really seem to enjoy it. And all the negative comments really seem to be from the, the, the reader side of the house. So uh, I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. It just seems like the biggest beef is like Katie and that it didn't stick word for word to the novel. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, mm. First off, that's a great point. A lot of the negative comments from fans and there's very few. Let's just use this time to give an update on our critics can go scratch segment, as we've been calling it. Rotten yeah. Tomatoes, it, you know, the narrative is still alive. The critics are still sitting at 40 percent. And the audience is at a 95%. So yet, what I've seen from that 5% of folks who, who, who have some negativity towards this, it's about things from the book that they think aren't going to play out, which is kind of weird because they're putting their own spin on what season two needs to do when that's yeah. not up to us. That's up to the writers in the writing room and, and the production team because, sure, Maybe Reese and Katie didn't have as much chemistry here as they did in the book. Like you knew they were going to become a piece kind of and yeah. then the ending leaves you. Oh, boy, there's a broken relationship. How are they going to mend it? You know, when she's got the debt cord around her neck and Reese takes a gamble and and shoots Ben anyway. Yeah. You know, so then the Katie thing I've rehashed a million times. It The Katie of the show is a different character. It's a yeah, different written sure. character. It's a different story. It's going to necessitate a different relationship with Reese and others because she's the journalist who came after Reese for her story. Yeah. It's not Reese going to her as an old friend or an acquaintance needing her help. They have a total different background. And Constance Wu was perfect for that. Now, yeah. if you ask, what does that mean for the future? Because you love seeing them as a couple. Who knows? But that's not up to us. That's why I'm actually excited for season two. When a ton of people are going, oh, I'm not going to watch season two because they blew Katie and Reese, uh, their relationship. What? That's the reason to watch, to know how this new story unfolds. Yeah. Like, it's yeah, exactly. It's all new. Uh, the, I will say that, especially the second half of the series, the first half really had a ton of stuff straight from the book. But the second half had me guessing and excited to see what, what they would change and how they would do what they did. And obviously there's callbacks to the book, but not everything is straight from it. Like, you know, a lot of the things overall that in the bones of the first half of the season are straight from the novel. But uh, yeah, I really enjoyed some of the stuff that they changed. And as far as Katie goes, I think one of the complaints I saw the most from some readers before the, the show came out, that just from you know me reading it and being interested in looking at other people's reviews was that some people couldn't believe how Reese could have chemistry with Katie and like kind of be interested in her so soon after Lauren and Lucy getting murdered um so i think maybe the changes were to avoid that maybe if if it would ever come up in the show at all call. you know just yeah. just quick quick turnaround like that this completely avoids that um and i think constance Wu did a, a pretty good job in that role and yeah like you said this is a different katie i think their background in the novel works to give you some background on why they would be so friendly with each other and especially yeah. why she would seek him out because right. she knows the background of like the family history and he does not but I also feel like that family history is a little cliche and a little not natural almost. Agreed. Like it's like somehow everyone is connected. Like 
I find it very hard to believe that her as a reporter would be able to find him overseas specifically just because, I mean, she does say that she seeked him out once she saw his name. And in the show, they cut it down from all the Rangers and QRF and the SEAL team to just the SEAL team so that they, they exactly. don't have to publicly announce that they lost all these people. So she wouldn't know to go seek him out. And I do like that aspect of the cover up a little bit more is that the military and Warcom is trying to keep this under wraps because Katie even says not even a statement from them right. is made at all. But um, I'm pretty happy with how the show turned out. And I think the crowd of non-readers joining groups like you and I are in, um, it's pretty evident that like the, you know, the amount of people in the group went up from before show to after show quite right. substantially. And so they're jumping in to see what other people are thinking about the show. And they're also putting their feelings down as well. And it's just all been pretty positive. And, you know, they, they, they put in there if they're a book reader or not. And I think it's pretty evident that I think the naysayers are, are a bit too nitpicky. And I think if you listen to Jack Carr's podcast, the Terminalist podcast, I think, um, a lot of the issues are ironed out there and explained. Um, you know, there are, there were on a lot of restrictions due to COVID. They couldn't really travel. Even the Wyoming s shot, um, you know, that was done in California and made to look like Wyoming and things like that. They're kind of stuck in the LA area. So they had to make it work. They can't travel to New York. They can't travel to Florida, even though they did have the attempt in there of we're going to the keys basically. And you thought, well, there's only a couple episodes left. So how is it? How is he going to get to the keys and back to finish this up? Um, but no, I, I really liked it. I think one of my favorite episodes is the road trip section of, I think it's the finale in the van when uh, Ben oh, has yeah. to put on the disguise <laughs> and yeah. they're kind of road tripping and Iron Maiden's playing on the radio and he, uh, Reese wants it changed. I don't know. I, I like, I like that like buddy road trip episode a lot. Yeah, that was a good one. And it built some suspense because a lot of us already knew the ending scene on, I think it was Fisher's Island in the book. I forget what they called yeah. it in the TV show, but we knew that that set action piece was coming and it's yes. way different. You know, all these tallow security guards and this big fight on the beachfront working his way up to the house, like way different in the book, but it, it led yeah. to some really cool scenes. Well, that gave us a little bit of suspense like holy shit is he even going to make it to the house like what happens yeah. here they have so, a roadblock yeah, cool. nod to the novel uh whenever they hit the roadblock in the book and everything and get away with it um i like the one in the show a little bit more because his face Agreed. would be plastered everywhere there's no way nobody would not know his face but i really liked him diving off the boat with the rebreather oh, uh, yeah. and making landfall and walking up the beach um it just reminded me almost of how like Pirates of the Caribbean, when the the cursed pirates are going down the beach into the water, it was like reverse. It was like some sort of sea creature coming up out of the out of the lagoon, and he but, had Boozer um, with him. Yeah, so I actually wanted to bring that up. Uh, what do you think? I, I think it would have been better with how it was written than how we, what we got. But what we got was pretty awesome. What how it was written was that the whole uh, Alpha Team was going to be on that boat for that single shot of going in the water. And the only one to really make a splash would be Reese and everything, but they were going to have all 12 or 13 guys in that boat going over together for just a snip, just like a split second. And I guess, you know, those guys are either advisors or now acting as background characters, or like I said, advising on other projects and they just couldn't get everybody together. So they, I think they got Boozer and one other person. Um, 
but yeah, I like that a, a lot. I like all the scenes where Boozer pops up. Uh, you yep. know, there's one there when he's, um, he's doing the sniper shot in Wyoming and he pops in as his spotter. I thought yeah. it was pretty, uh, pretty entertaining. I think that does two things. I think it, it gives a nod to the pilot and the, the opening episodes of the show where it really was about his kind of mental struggles, you know, and what he was going through emotionally and to kind of give that a nod that he's coming to grips with that. He's almost overcoming it and at peace with it. And now those guys, those spirits, those souls can work with him. They could be teammates again instead of somewhat antagonists where he's thinking, wait, did he, um, you know, trip the wire in the cave or am I misremembering that? And yeah. he's kind of struggling with it. This was like a at peace coming together moment to say, I'm actually use this, use these memories, use these hauntings to operate and, and have the guys, you know, I'm my six again. So I thought that was a great nod to that. It's also a nod to something that keeps up through in the blood, in the blood, the most recent book, he's really getting a lot of visions, if you will, from his dad, from Lucy, they are yeah. speaking to him while he's operating. And it was kind of crazy. I was reading in the blood while watching the show. And I'm like, that that is what Reese goes through, you know, in the moment yeah. that when he's operating, he hears and he sees and he recalls his relationships. Yeah, I think it's going to continue through the series, uh, especially even after he gets the tumor removed down the road. Yeah. Um, which, by the way, I wanted to double check. Which books are you done with the whole series? Are you caught up with everything? Good question. Um, personally, I've, I've read them all, of course. Okay. Uh, but Just so we can uh, talk about stuff. But I won't dig into details for stuff you guys haven't reviewed. Yeah. Um, Let's give a spoiler warning there then. Yeah. We've only covered the Terminalist book on the podcast. So if you haven't heard already, major spoilers for the TV show and the book, The Terminalist. <laughs> In the blood. All we do plan on covering True Believer and Savage Son within the next month or so. Our schedule's a little off covering The Gray Man. So yeah. if we're going to give a True Believer uh, spoiler, which I do want to ask you something here in a minute. So I'll just say, hey, guys, skip ahead one minute if, if you didn't read True Believer. Yeah. But yeah, let's not dig too deep into into the future books. Okay. La last one. Uh, this really isn't a spoiler, but like we were talking about with Visions in, in the Blood, he sees Lucy after a certain event happens and she eerily says, you better get up or you're going to burn to death. And just uh, the image of like a three or four year old saying that is uh, pretty eerie. So yeah. I just thought that was pretty interesting. She saves him a, a bunch, yeah. to be honest. Yeah, absolutely. So speaking of the ending and the changes, I do think the book was better with the final dialogue on the island. I didn't really like how Hartley was dealt with in her office. It was kind of like a weird triangle of, of Katie Reese Hartley, who trusts who I get what they were going for, right? Like is Hartley either redeemable or somewhat innocent and in that maybe she wanted what's best for the troops in the end. I kind of like how on the Island, um, Steve Horn was really the guy controlling everything. And Hartley was actually freaking out saying, you're going too far, Steve. Like, yeah. you actually were almost you thought Hartley was maybe more redeemable in the book, even though she was more evil in the book, simply because you learned Steve Horn was really the juggernaut behind this whole thing. And, and one thing I want to ask there is Ben's dialogue that they put this time on the boat when Reese goes to see him on the sailboat. Whether you read the book or not and knew all along, you know, the Ben Edwards reveal at the end. How do you think that hit the way it was explained in the TV show? Because a few people 
who don't know the book have told me it felt so forced. Why would he do that? It was just to to pull at your heartstrings at the very end and really rip the rug out from under you when yeah. it really doesn't make sense if you step back. I, I, I don't the, I don't think that's true, but I want to get your take. I, I, I don't think it feels forced. I think you put the pieces together with Reese, but what I think should have happened was that Ben can't live with himself and he admits it on the sailboat. Um, and then Reese doesn't believe him. And then he gets the call confirming it. And then he has confirmation. And then what happens happens. Um, but I really think it, it, it didn't feel forced, but I think maybe it could have been handled better to make Ben more of a redeemable character because they do definitely make him way more redeemable in, in the show than in the book. Yeah. That was something else. Um, it's, it's like they, the whole time during the show, which I love, they have this brotherhood and the brotherhood is inseparable and the brotherhood lives through everything. Yes. Long live the brotherhood. It's on, it's all over the place. And in the show, way more than the book, the book is almost like, Long live the brotherhood unless there's money involved and then, and then fuck it. Exactly. In the show, it's almost like Ben knew it was too late. Everybody's dead. Help us cover it up almost. And so he kind of partakes, not forced, but obviously he wasn't involved with, with Lauren and Lucy, uh, being murdered or anything. But I just think they, they attempted and succeeded at making him more redeemable in the show, but I think they could have done it even better if he would have not been able to live with himself and like gives him gives himself up yeah. to James on the sailboat. Um, and another thing I wanted to get your take on is something that I really wish was at the end. I love, I love the ending and except for maybe that. And I wish they would have somehow had his cell phone the voicemail, voicemail message. In there I was just going to say quick, true believer season two spoiler uh, jump ahead, but dude, I'm a hundred percent with you. I was hoping when they showed him on the boat towards the very end and he, and he, you know, drops the list and it's gone. I was hoping the final cut to black was the cell phone sitting in like evidence collection yeah. in some Even archives just black screen and just audio. And it just rings. Great. Even if you just hear the, the phone buzzing, a black screen, just audio. I said, this is Dr. So-and-so yeah. cut, or you see the phone buzzing and then it lights up on the screen and you see, you know, it's a doctor's office, like an MRI office calling. Yeah. I thought that would have been so cool because when that hit in the book, I think it was an epilogue of the book. Yes. Banger. It was just so banger. And and I think without that, too many people are like, and actually a couple people I spoke to who don't know the books are like, how is there going to be a season two? He should just die at sea. Isn't that the, yeah. the ending was kind of fitting. A couple people I spoke with are even happy with the ending as it was. They're like, his story arc is complete. Correct. Like, exactly. We're just getting started here. Let's just sit down. And I agree. But, um, His story arc is complete. And so it's a, it's a really smart thing to do if this was the end of the road. Yeah. Which, which everything artistically, I'm hearing, yeah, that's a great choice. It's not it's a great decision. Yeah. Um, but that's oh, not it's a great story. decision. Yeah. It's a great decision if that's the only season. And I think maybe they weren't positive, but from everything I'm hearing, I'm hearing everything but Amazon renewed us or there is a season two. I'm hearing. Jack say he's screenwriting, um, Dave DeGilio, DeGilio screenwriting, yeah. Jared Shaw still involved, uh, checking out Chris's schedule, waiting for a call from Amazon, all this stuff. And something that surprised me was with Reacher, it was like two weeks into it and it was so popular. It got renewed for right. two more seasons, just a few weeks into that. And just no word yet. Kind of has me a little worried, but just with everybody's commitment and Jack saying he's putting time aside to write the second season, I really think that, that it's happening without question 
And he even said, like, you know, this first season was really heavy on Chris Pratt because uh, they really didn't have any side stories going. There's very little time away with Chris off screen. So in the second season, they were going to have a couple storylines that run parallel to the main story. But I know it's all about his schedule and stuff, but he's done with the Jurassic uh, films now, Um, done with Guardians. I'm sure he'll be in other Avengers, other Marvel projects, but Volume 3 is finishing up filming, and then he's probably going to be done maintenance unless they pull him back for another project. But his his production company, from what I understand, has a deal with Amazon Prime. That's why Tomorrow War was on there first, and now this. And so he's going to need other projects, and I know... Also, that he's told Jack that In the Blood is his favorite. Yes. And I really just think, you know, it's not out of the question for a show to do five, six seasons. And and at least even on Amazon, you know, um, the boys, they're going into season four. And um, their season layout's the same as Terminal List, you know, eight episodes. Um, and I think it's working out pretty well. So I don't think it's out of the question for them to be doing that. And I think the budget for the boys is way higher. And I'm very curious if the viewership of the boys is up there with terminal list or, you know, where they rank. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping. I'd, I'd be curious to hear about that too. I, I also am concerned. I was expecting a quick season two announcement, not hints, not nuggets, but an announcement from Amazon. Yeah. A little nervous about it, but I think just I think these things take time. So, yeah, we've been patient enough. I mean, look at how long it's been since this was talked about in the first place. Yeah. Uh, so a little patience here, I think, is, is not going to hurt. You know, uh, Jack says he talks to Dave DiGilio every day since like 2019 on the phone right. and they still talk every day. Well, they wouldn't still be talking if something else wasn't in the works. So if they were going to cut if Amazon was going to cut and run a they would I not think be, we would have heard about that as well already. Right. Those rumors, they would have leaked that to try to get public opinion on it. Yeah. And that has not happened. So yeah. and like even Dave Giglio, whenever he talks about it, he says this first season, he doesn't say like this season or the show. He says this first season. Well, right. That means it's not done. There's a second one coming. So another thing we, we wanted to do with you is go through some criticism we've seen online and, and see if any of the, the arguments hold water here. And one I found is really close to what we're talking about. And this, uh, I believe, was coming from, yeah, this was on Reddit, a post on Reddit, which is a very okay. reliable source, as we all know. <laughs> Eight hour long episodes felt way too long and repetitive for the story. Could have been cut down into a two hour movie. Enjoyed the show, but it could have been three to four episodes less. What say you? No, I think they were really going for that Cinevision uh, idea of movie quality TV show, and I think they pulled it off pretty well, and especially for being, having to be contained in the L.A. area. This show, if you would make it into movies, just to do Terminalist, I think, would be a trilogy. Um, I really think that what they did was the right move for the formula of the book, and you know, he the first episode, it's like, you kind of get the framework a little bit. Second episode's the first kill. Then there's an interrogation. More information. Fill the list. Execute the list. Yeah. And, you know, I think it, it flowed very well. If you try and put that into a two and a half no. film, two and a half hour film, it's just not not working, not going to have the same gravity. It's going to feel too much like The Punisher. It's going to feel too much like some other revenge projects. Um, something that comes to mind is like Death Sentence with Kevin Bacon. 
<laughs> if you've ever seen that, it's very similar to the Punisher. But, um, yeah, I just feel like it would, it would almost be more of a, I mean, Chris Pratt headlining and going straight to prime, it would still be great, but it would, it would, and I'm not saying this in a bad way, but it would feel too close to the gray man. I think, like, think about the gray man. Think about what if the great, what, how would you feel yeah. if the gray man was an eight, one hour episode season? Yeah. Uh, have you seen it? The gray yes. man. Okay. All yeah. right. Well, I, maybe we'll save that uh, for the very end. I do want to get your take on that, but, um, yeah, no, I don't think that story would have worked. I don't think it has the meat that this story has. Yeah. And including the book, it, do, it doesn't have the I'm just thinking like the Terminalist. Let's think a three act movie, right? You got to set the stage. Mm-hmm. You got to build the action. You got to have the climax. You cannot simplify the Terminalist plot into those three formulaic acts that a movie needs. You know, the, uh, the only way I can see to do it. And it's very rarely, if ever done, is with a narrator. And the only way to do mm. that is if there's an interrogation room and they're explaining it and showing you stuff and the, the narrator is driving the film. Like think about Wolf of Wall Street or even nobody. And while nobody doesn't, he doesn't narrate, it's set up kind of like that where there, he's an interrogation room at the beginning and trying to explain his case basically. Mm. So, but just think about how Wolf of Wall Street moves. And while it's three hours, it's narrated. And I think that's, it works really well because it's narrated, uh, but that would be the only way I think you would ever pull it off in a film. And I don't think that I don't think that would have landed. It's been done before, and I think it would have made the Terminalist seem like it's just rehashing what's already been done. Yeah. When that's not the case with the story, and and forcing it into that sort of scheme schema, mm-hmm. I think would have done disservice to what the story is. And yeah. they, I think the eight hours were perfect. Absolutely perfect. I will say one episode, and this goes to my next criticism I have here, actually. There's another quote very close to what I'm about to say. I I almost started asking questions if the show was going off the rails. Episode five, six, somewhere in that realm, which is okay. interesting because that aligns with the part where they take a hard turn away from the plot of the book. Yes. The chase. You know, the O.J. Simpson chase. <laughs> oh, yeah, wait, so I no, think what, that's a Land Cruiser, not a Bronco. Five is the heat episode and six is the first blood episode, is it? Yeah. Is that the, yeah there you go. Those are the two it, you're talking about? Exactly. Exactly. OK. I, what what do you think about those two? Because if anything, those are the two that you could either have condensed, condensed or cut or just completely written the Freddie Strain storyline instead. Yeah. So I think the, the Tony Leone thing needs to be cleared up for sure. I think we need to know if he's a Freddy strain replacement or there is a character in that canopy with them and that that HRT squad, the one guy speaking up basically having a problem with what they're doing and the, the right. team leader tells them to get off of it. But he obviously wasn't in the spotlight. Um but I really think next season they, they're gonna have Tony Leone probably fill the role of Agreed. Freddy Strain probably. I think you were right. Just because about they that. like they really like JD Pardo. Yeah, you were um, right. Yep. And especially with how the how the garage fight, how the garage fight goes, I think mm-hmm. has a lot to do with what's going to happen in season 2. I will actually say where they went long term with with JD Pardo and the FBI team, the garage fight, their chat and then also when JD Pardo has him dead to rights on the beach and lets him go, I think I I actually really like where they went with the writing yeah. and the character building and I'd be happy to see that continue in season 2. 
But for a moment, the chase in the mountains, the chase with the cops on the highway, the explosion where he blows up the, the mountain with the landslide. I, I just think that episode, the writing suffered, the the cinematography suffered. It was just it was just off to me. So I think eight hours was perfect. But there's there's only a very few limited amount of scenes, I think, that you could have cut or or crunched down. And it, and it was yeah. in that five, six range. I think if you go back and just watch the, just those two in in order and pay attention, I think five is Reese really getting motivation to get uh, Steve Horn off the list. And right. while we know the order of things in the book, I really kind of enjoy the shakeup and he still does the the J.D. Hartley method just a little bit more with the little scene from from Heat, which I like. And I think I think it's very clear that and I, I mean, they mention it. I mean, Chris Chris Pratt's on a few shows saying we have a Sicario episode, a Heat episode and a First Blood episode in that way. And I really think it's important to note that maybe those were like his ideas to do some tributes to to things that made the book possible. That's making the show possible, like influences. And I don't mind that ch- the, the the running episode um, that much. I think the biggest my biggest problem with it is the typical forgot my medicine and now I'm gonna have head problems. True. Um, I think that's the biggest issue. But I love him sourcing the first spear backpack from the HRT guy and putting the batteries together to make a heat signature to trick that was that was the, great. Uh, the heat tracker. I like him hiding under the shrubbery to do Correct. that. That um, was cool. I like him leaving the bullet as the basically the the replacement for the the clacker for Freddie Strain in the novel. Exactly. I I really think the fall onto the rock was was good. I think maybe he could have had some more physical ailments from that. Um, right. But I think the purpose of that is really to slow it down for a second because it's such it's so go 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 go. Yeah. There are some slow moments, especially with like Liz and prep and things like that. Prep to eliminate people on the list. But I think that. Maybe you're thinking he's too bad of a guy. Like if you're a new viewer, know nothing about the books. This guy's just whacking people with no mercy. Well, I yeah, think, that's with the shooting in San Francisco. Yeah, for sure. And I think that, especially in public, and he he blew it up exactly. knowing that Katie is there. I think the biggest redemption part to the new viewer is the rock slide and him resuscitating I, you remember what the agent's name is? Oh, that's I on. Yeah, I can't female, remember her name. Yeah, she's uh, in, she's, she's in the army. Yeah, but she, she was. was in the she army. was saying right, right, right. she was in the army. Right, right. So right. I think him resuscitating her before escaping is his biggest redeem redeeming moment to kind of bring people into this. Um, sure. And I think they just need the slowdown episode. Yeah. And they talk a little bit about that in the Terminalist podcast of why they did that. I think I think if um, Dave DiGiulio says talks about that one a lot, and it it does seem like it was. Well done. I think the landslide is maybe a little bit too much. I think they could have done something else instead of that. Agreed. And the way they filmed it. Like, I think the river escape could have, he could have made it to the river and she follows him and she, something happens, she gets pulled under and and she drowns and he saves her that way. It still has the same effect with less of an unbelievable far-fetched landslide. I think I agree. Yeah, I agree. She slips on a rock or something. Yeah. Yeah. Or her boot gets stuck in between two rocks and her head's under and she, she's sucking in water and he's right. And he puts her up on shore. But, but, you know, the, the current has pulled them a mile downstream and the other HRT guys can't, can't. Exactly. Yeah. So it's up to Reese, you know? 
hundred percent agree. I think something like that for me would it would have saved my my con- the concerns that I have. Yeah. Here's a good thing though about that whole sequence. You're right about slowing it down because I remember saying to myself, episode seven's got to come up big. After yeah. after that, and I was a little just off put about the the whole whole thing right there. It's like episode seven's got to come off big, and dude, it's my favorite of the series. It, I think it's the best story wise. I think yeah. the character building, the climactic. Oh, they even um, they go back to Warcom, so you know it's building towards that. Yeah, it's I, I like that's my favorite part of the story of the the plot, the action, everything's coming to a head. And I thought episode seven did everything it needed to do at that point in the series. Yeah, I don't know why. I don't know if you've how many times you've read the first book, um, but for some reason, every time I either go back and read it or I go back and listen to it, other than the latest time and the first time, I skip the team ambush at the beginning. I don't know why. Hmm. It just doesn't keep my interest i understand what happens and why like i read it once absorbed what happens and the consequences of that but the details just aren't there so i skip that section and go to him getting home and going to the team room and he's gonna i think one of my favorite things is he goes to to take his gear back and everyone's hauling ass out of the team room and heading to boozers and so he jumps in the cruiser heads to boozers boozers dead well that then he goes home that is what sets it up for him to have the gear to pull everything off. He has the HK416, he has the night vision, he has the body armor, all that stuff. Um, I don't know why, but for some reason, also in the show, it was the same way. I saw it the first time I watched through the series, but even if I rewatch episode one, I kind of skip through the ambush a little bit. And while I like the tactics and everything that's done and it's beautifully filmed, it's it's like, I don't know. It's like kind of too big of a downer to start on, Mm. I think. But I mean, the book's the same way. Like this guy's like having literally the worst couple of days of his life. And you're going to see how he kind of fights through that. Um, There's a couple of small details. Like in the book, he is going to attempt suicide and says, you never take the easy way out. And in the show, uh, the scene where he puts the fingers up to the screen and thinks that they think it's Holder. Is it Josh Holder? He thinks is was one of the attack one of the attackers at the MRI clinic. Right. But at the beginning of that scene he has a gun in his hand right. for no other reason than probably prepping for suicide until he sees that and it pulls him off that suicidal path. And he like is convinced that something more is afoot. I wanted to see if you had anything from the show background or details or anything maybe either you had questions about or if you had anything you really enjoyed to see or something you found out about some of the things in the background that maybe you didn't realize that are pretty cool, like uh, fun facts, I guess. Well, I think that's a good time to get into another thing I wanted to have you on for as such a guru of uh, the gear, such a gearhead, we should say, this opening sequence, because that's where we get to see it all at once. It's a montage of Reese's personal life and his garage. So yep. let's let's do a few minutes here on the opening sequence. Let me first ask you, what do you think about that song? Trigger, Mississippi Twilight. It's I, I like it. I like it a lot. Uh, in my head before the show came out, I really wanted it to be The Man That Comes Around by Johnny Cash. Ooh. Mainly because of its importance during writing the first novel and ultimately having to be pulled. And I thought Jack could really 
get that back and like win that battle of not being able to use the song for the book and use it for the show, basically. Yeah. I kind of like it something though. I didn't know. Yeah. I never heard before. I like that. It was new. It really fits that outlaw country vibe that James Reese has. And the show doesn't have it, but James Reese has it. And I, I, I like it. I like it a lot. I think the intro is one of the better ones that I've seen recently. I really like the season two Jack Ryan intro. I like the Punisher when it was on Netflix and now it's on Disney Plus intro. I don't know. They're just satisfying to watch. They're ones I don't skip. I like looking at all the stuff in the background. What do you notice here? Well, I'm looking at the Extreme Props Instagram page right now, which is Gary Tours. He was in charge of, he was like the prop master for the show. Um, and they set up this garage as a set piece and it stayed up the longest out of all the sets because they went back to film the intro. And just, I know we talked before the show a little bit about some of the things in the background and we talked on the last episode I was on as well, but I wanted to talk a little bit about the, the vision of, of St. Rupert painting. There's actually two of them in some of these photos. I don't recall if two of them are actually on the intro at all, but, uh, vision of St. Rupert is a, is a yeah, painting. Depicting Hubert, I found out it was Hubert. Okay. Yeah. He is like an expert hunter and he finds the most beautiful stag he's ever seen. And it has a crucifix in its antlers and, from that day on, he lives in peace and never hunts again. And I think that really relates to Reese because he wants a sign to give it all up and live in peace with it, with just his family. And obviously that all gets taken away. But I, I think the background of, of the painting and how it actually kind of fits in and they focus on it in the intro is pretty interesting. And I just love the artwork that they yeah. picked for that because there are different depictions. I think that one's from 1852, maybe for some reason that sticks out in my head. But it's pretty central, too. They really yeah. put that painting front and center. Yep. I think a lot of the books are from Jack's personal collection. A lot of the Vickers guides. Uh, there's uh, the CIA at war out of the mountains, general provisions, accidental gorilla, mm-hmm. extreme unarmed combat, which is like a SAS guide. Um, there's uh, once an Eagle. These are all books that Jack talks about a lot and, Luckily, I've been able to acquire quite a few of these just straight from his reading list. There's some other stuff on here, too, like a work mat that you would find in a SEAL's workbench, probably, for knock-on custom archery. I like a lot of the stickers that are on the safe. There's one Hmm. that says, uh, speak softly and carry a big stick, Black Hills Ammunition. And Black Hills Ammunition is pretty popular for having 77 grain, 5.56 ammo. It's better than like armor-piercing rounds and stuff, so it's pretty cool that like Black Hills has a little little sticker there. There's Dynamis. Uh, they make the combat flathead that makes an appearance later on in the other books. Um, there is a first spear sticker, which they make clothing and body armor for, for soldiers and law enforcement personnel. And also the backpack that he takes from the HRT guy in the first blood episode is a first spear backpack. But hmm. um, there's all kinds of like just little, little nods like that. He has the, the framed folded flag probably from his father's funeral on top of the safe. Of course, the the Sayoc Tomahawks from Winkler. But I wanted to just chat real quick. On this Instagram page are some of the rifle builds. Um, and they're all very well described and, and discussed with, you know, all the attachments, what the source is um, and how they were not how they were built, but what pieces are on these. And they're all very detailed and, and correct, obviously, because he's the prop master and he put this stuff together even though he was probably advised i don't know what his 
knowledge bases for a lot of this. I know he spent his entire life in this field, but I really love a lot of the photos. Um, there's like a photo of the prop on a table with the terminal list under it. And then there's some other photos of it being used in, in the show. Um, and of course the description. Um, and I just really think that some other shows I see stuff and I'm like, ah, I wish I knew what, what he was using there. And I got to look it up on Google, what knife is used in the gray man, what, what's used in this, what's used in that. And they're up front here. Yeah, they are up front. A lot of stuff is from the book, but there are some changes. Like there was one I didn't quite get. So the, the Eccles, Eccles legend that is Thomas Reese's, he packs it up out of the safe, Mm -hmm. takes it with him, leaves it with Marco. But then what he uses in Wyoming for that sniper shot is mm. a Remington 700, but we never see the Remington. So I think interesting. sometimes in shows, I wish they didn't leave me with any questions. There's a few shows that do it that like explain everything. I that don't leave me guessing. And like the shotgun that he packs up from the safe is a Benelli that you and I talked about last time that we thought the one that Ben used was a Benelli, but it's not. It's but a Beretta. It so yeah. Ben must have brought the Beretta, but the actual shotgun he puts in the case in episode three, I think, when he's packing up to go to Mexico. That's the Benelli? Is, is the Benelli. Um, so maybe Ben brings his own. Yeah, maybe. But even though the bow isn't used, they even have the bow specs and details on here and what arrows they are, what pound pool the bow is and everything. The newest one he has on here is for the sniper rifle that Ben uses in the finale. It's the 50 Cal Barrett. It's a, um, let me see what model it is. Like they even have the the Razor HD Gen two scope specs on here, so like oh, they literally have everything. Oh, that's when he's up in the tower, right? When he's in the lighthouse. Yeah, the yeah, yeah the Barrett is the M eighty two A one, and yeah, and I'm, another thing I'm happy with that they did this uh, rifle is typically this is used. Well, originally was designed to take out vehicles and shoot through engine blocks and stuff, and of course it's used in other movies to absolutely disintegrate people. But in this movie, he shoots it. He shoots it to shoot the lights out, the generator. I don't, I'd have to rewatch to see if he shoots any people with it, but they don't mm-hmm. blow up like in most movies. It's a little more grounded and realistic. I, I enjoy the time and care that they took to make the stuff a little more realistic and correct. I think the biggest outlandish part is like we talked about is the landslide. Yeah. I think if they would have done something different with the landslide, maybe it would have been a little better. But use the river in in that shot, just cinema yeah. cinematography. You can yeah use the have river. him make it. The rest of the HRT team doesn't want to jump in except for her. She goes to try and track him down, and either doesn't want to or is just a little too late to the game and doesn't realize they already got rushed that far down. Yeah, downstream, something like that, and as opposed to landslide. Yeah. That, yep. It was one of the times where I just both said, why'd you film it this way? Why'd you write it this way? And it just yeah. didn't look right. And I didn't say that anywhere else throughout the whole series. Yeah, I think I thought it was neat that they actually buried him in the dirt and stuff. And supposedly they, yeah. he forced his way out and was breathing heavy when they were filming. They were like, That's, right. that was really good acting. And he is like, yeah, I almost <laughs> suffocated. Yeah, um, uh, that was funny. Yeah. So. Um, uh, another cool thing I wanted to mention to you was, did you pick up that the red in any of the memories are incorrect memories? You mean the red on like the brain scans? No. So in any of the memories that Reese has, oh, like a if there is red, if there is red happen. anywhere in it, it is not correct. It, oh, it may have true. happened, but it's not correct. So for instance, the, the Liz Riley 
one. Right, because what's-his-name wasn't actually on the op. Well, yeah, so he wasn't on the op, but his hat has a red patch on it. Everybody else's is black. No way. But if you go back, there's other examples of that. But red is not in any of them, except for like any of the ones where Lucy is wearing a red cape is incorrect with the bird. But the with one the at the end that is correct, she doesn't have the cape. She on. doesn't have the red cape. Oh, my God. What about when Lauren's yelling at him about you're really doing this for you? You said it'd be your last deployment. That had to be real, right? Because those got to be conversations. Probably. I'd have to go. But yeah, I'd have to go back. Some of the stuff is correct. But I mean, it really doesn't click until that very last one with the bird with the bird um, the, and Lucy. Wow. Yeah. So I just wanted to see if you, wire? what about when knowing that it was the local uh, guy who, who freaked out and hit the tripwire, I would have to watch it again, but maybe he has, maybe he has some sort of like neck scarf that's red. I can't recall for that one exactly what's red in that one, but they were talking about it on the terminal list podcast and uh, Dave DiGilio points it out. Like each time they, point out a memory which they don't go over every single frame by frame or anything but they talk about some memories and how they filmed it and things like that and he talks about how red is in all of the incorrect memories so i just thought that that was interesting i didn't know if you had time or a chance to uh, listen to all those episodes but they're pretty interesting they do spend a little too much time saying who killed it and they said oh they absolutely killed it like they say it about every single person (laughs) That's Jack's on, line. <laughs> on, yeah, but they all they all end up saying it. Jared and, and Dave DiGiulio say all oh, they all say it. That's pretty funny. It's, yeah, and I do understand. They want to really focus on and point out everybody that made it possible and did a, did a really good job. But there's one episode. I, I it might be for episode six or five or six. But they yeah, say it about yet. like six or seven people. But yeah, they do go. They do they do dive into the red in the incorrect. Um, I don't know if you still have it up or not, but. It's his uh, third from newest post. If you look at James's frame in the middle, the blue is the correct one. And off to the right, they have the red patch that's actually in the memory that's incorrect. Wow. That's really, I, I like that. No, I didn't get that far in the Terminalist podcast, but even just the fact that they're doing that as a companion yeah. for people yeah. like you and I and others who love this what other series is giving that much reverence to their audience and respect? And like you said, with the prop designer posting on Instagram, the legit type and compound of the bow, I like, you know, that just really means that they cared about this series and it's, it's not just about, you know, the bottom line and the dollar amount. They really cared about the audiences, not just the viewing experience, but the entire experience of fandom. Yeah. I can't, I can't remember if it was on Instagram or another one, but something this rem- reminds me of is like when Walking Dead was real big and they had the Talking Dead, they had the companion show <laughs> is what this reminds me of a lot. But the uh, Echoes Legend, I can't remember if it was on Instagram or Facebook, but somebody posted about it and, and they were describing it as it's described on Extreme Props. And at the end, they put if if you don't have to ask how expensive it is, you can't afford it. And I looked <laughs> it up. It's like a it's like a thirty six thousand dollar rifle. Jeez. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's Dar- Darcy Eccles of uh, yeah, and the rifle is called an Eccles Legend. And if you've ever watched the short film Fathers and Sons, which um, is connected right. to the series, it actually shows how Thomas Reese got the gun in the game of pool. So he actually won that gun and hands it down to Reese before he before he dies. So and that was just fans, right? That was like a fan story. Yeah, it was a fan made thing. And from what I understand, team. one of those actors is in the Terminalist as a bartender at one of the bars. I remember Jack talking about that. I think it was on Danger Close or one of the, one of the podcasts. That was uh, yeah, 
That's really cool. I really like yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, uh, I like whenever people do that. Like, obviously they, they liked the series enough to, to make this, uh, they, they did it. I think Jack gave them permission as long as it wasn't monetized or anything like that. And it is just a 15 minute little short film and it, it's pretty, it's pretty cool to see Thomas yeah. Reese in the flesh, uh, before, you know, when he was in his prime. But I think that that's something that, Later on down the road, if they explore and really make that a story line that carries through season to season is Thomas Reese, because since you and I have both read the books, we won't get into spoilers, but Thomas Reese really affects from a far away standpoint what James is doing. Absolutely. And I think flashback scenes, the way the way the memory scenes were in this, I think that amount of time and and slotted storytelling could be used for thomas reese stuff down the road Agreed. but um i uh i wonder if that would be not, maybe not in true believer i feel like you have to if if this was the memory loss i feel like true believer has to be sense of purpose and the way the hastings family can offer that yeah. as like an adopted family and then i feel like S- savage son yeah savage son will definitely be where that starts because of the watch exactly the watch and thomas reese would definitely crop up there whether that's yeah. a season three or whether there's a hybrid season, who knows? But I'm hoping that uh, Savage Sun gets his own season. It's my favorite book. Can you imagine, man? I, can you imagine seeing the Hastings, both the ranch in Mozambique and then also Montana? Think about the prologue being on film. Oh, Just the prologue. Dude, there's there's so much. I got to reread Savage Sun. It's been a few years now, but. Yeah, it's it's my favorite. Just within the last year, I've probably listened to all of them more than I've read them, but I've read them at least once and listened to them all at least twice. But like Terminalist, I've listened to three times to Savage Sun, maybe like three or four because I have an hour long commute to work. Just I'll blow through it in like a week. So I get to uh, get to listen to it a lot. Nice. So I was wondering uh, if you had any other things you wanted to get into real quick. Uh, you said you had a question from Gray for Gray Man. Yeah, maybe we'll talk about Gray Man for just a second. But um, to wrap up Terminalist, uh, what was your final? Actually, two questions. As you think about the series as a whole, what was your favorite episode? But also, what was your favorite move, either to make an adaptation of the book or to move away from the book? So, favorite scene from the book, favorite move away from the book. And favorite episode overall, what would you say? Favorite scene that goes with the book is probably Saul Agnon. Yes. Favorite scene away from the book is probably. Well, like, do you consider the Steve Horn scene with the book or away from the book? No, the event no. and what they happens it. with. Yeah. Yeah. They okay. Changed, so that's, that's my favorite completely. one away from the book for okay. sure. His, his moves. Um, he throws a, a smoke grenade a certain way to try and make a Talos security agent think he's going to come through the smoke and really he flanks them and gets them on the side. Like there's little, little quick tactics that are used that are pretty cool. And his weapons handling and everything is awesome. Oh, that's another scene that I wish I could see is that Reese is in a low vis, a low visibility kind of get up when he's in that van, he parks it next to the G wagon. Mm-hmm. He gets out, he has a blue backpack on flannel, his black rifle, coffee ball cap, and he makes it to that corner and a deleted scene is in the blue backpack. His rifle is in two pieces. Well, including the magazine three. So it fits in the backpack and low viz is basically trying to blend in. So he's trying to blend in until he gets there and 
what we got to see of it is him coming back around the corner around the corner with the fully assembled racking, weapon yeah, yeah well they cut out him assembling it oh that's um, cool and and that's underneath cool. his flannel he has the body armor on already and it, it's like unbuttoned when you see him but when he goes back there out of the vehicle it's buttoned up so he's like in a low vis get up but he's ready to roll and then as soon as he clacks off the van uh it's it's like game on and oh, it, it's cool. just like that that's the probably the best scene in the show, I think, of that quote at the beginning of this is an apex predator with nothing left to lose. That's that scene in, in like downtown, I think, is the best scene that, that goes with that. OK, interesting. I was going to say that was one of my least favorite scenes, but you make a, <laughs> you make a great argument for how it, it, it gets at the tactics and, and on the tactical level. It just left me with too many questions. And I was actually watching with my wife who doesn't know the book. She's like, so he's a domestic terrorist now. So he's just blowing yes. up. People yes. The answer stage. is yes. Mike, if she asks you again, it's yes. <laughs> I, I just don't know if that was the right move. But now that you say it really solidifies, he has nothing less to, left to lose. And the mission is all that matters. And the mission is to get horn. It make it makes sense. It makes sense. I, I'm, I'm kind of coming around to it, but it it really reminded me of how they told Arnold in the first Terminator that he is supposed to be a shark. If you watch that, Reese has no other no other focus yeah. except for to cross the name off the list, and that's it. It doesn't yeah, matter how right. close Katie's standing. To that he was going to clack that thing off regardless. You're right. And what he does to Katie there, he does hesitate, which is why Horn doesn't die right away. For sure. And, and what he does to Katie, they're actually hurting her is kind of causing that tension, which the book does at the very end on yeah. the Island. So yeah, yeah it's an important, it's an important scene. I didn't like it on first watch, but thinking about it and the way you've explained it, it's definitely, it's come around. It's come around. For yeah. Me. I, uh, yeah, I, I enjoy that scene a lot just because in the, in the book, it's definitely more realistic how he gets away from it. How he grabs a hat, blends in with the crowd, gets exactly. in a taxi, and he he exfils in a taxi. You see, I kind of like that stuff. I kind of like that kind of blending in, like you were saying with the low vis, just yeah. uh, get away and put a hat on, change your clothes, put your jacket inside out, change your shoes. We always hear about yeah. how shoes are often the tell because it's one of the least likely things to be changed in the moment. Yeah. I, I kind of like that stuff as opposed to I'm just going to shoot up a city square and, and I don't really care about collateral damage all that very much. Yeah, and, and he stands on the steps. You you were really okay with how long he stood on the steps and how the FBI. I mean, he doesn't. JD he doesn't Pardo stay was, on what, the steps. So JD away. Pardo, he yeah, like they're, they're down away. the block. They're down the block at the end of the block with a flower van, and um, I think it it could have been worse in the way that he could have said a one liner before he put him down. But I yeah, like how true. he just walks up. It's all business. Yep. Yep. Does the business and tries to get out of there. I think if they just got him out of there a little faster, I would have bought it more. Something about, again, it's just like lingering for almost no reason, him on these steps. There were a couple, I think, like wide pan shots of that. Yeah. It, and just, I was just kind of like irked by it. Very few times I got taken out of the story. That was one of them. It's almost cringy, but I like it. I don't know yeah. why. Okay. I enjoy All it. Right. Um, Kind of like some of the stuff in the Gray Man's a little little cringy, but I still enjoyed that movie. But definitely, but definitely about the cringe there. Um, favorite episode before we wrap up, and move on here. Um, probably for the Sicario episode. Yeah, Mexico. Probably that. I don't think they get much more violent and and team based tactical moving than that than that one. 
And like people complain that, oh, that's not how it was in the book. It is pretty close. Like it's make it at night close. and make those guys inside partying and just Reese going in without Ben. I mean, those are very small nitpicky changes. And right. I really think that for the readers, I think Ben was put there and put in it and involved as much partaking as much as he did because he's trying to redeem himself. And yep. I think because they're trying to throw off the reader. Yeah. Um, they're they're trying to, because I was questioning until the end, if they were going to have, they're going to have Ben do it. Same here. Same here. Cause he was so deep in helping Reese and, and the brother line, they just kept calling each other brother. Yeah, exactly. Yep. And, and Marco, right? Like, how could you say they moved away from the books? They could have very easily cut Marco and his family entirely. Yeah, but they didn't. I'm curious. So, uh, he, he's going to go back and get that Eccles rifle. I think. I think something more important with that Eccles rifle than what we what we think. I think that something that happens at the end of In the Blood, or no, um, Devil's Hand at the end mm-hmm. of Devil's Hand, I think is related to that rifle instead. So let's see. Right. We'll see if they're thinking that far ahead. We got to look out for that. Yeah, he gave he gave it to Marco and said, "I'll be back for it." Um, and I think, I think he will be, and I think it'll be for something important. So I like it. Well, thanks for joining us to talk more about the Terminalist. We loved your take so much on episodes three and four. I'm so glad we got to talk about the, the series as a whole here and dig into it a little bit further. And while we got you, even if it's not that long, we have since covered the Terminalist moved on to the gray man. So let me ask you, have you read the book? And what'd you think of the movie? I have not read the book. It's on my list after some Vince Flynn stuff, I think. But you and I discussed uh, discussed with some messages back and forth about it being a little more a little more campy, almost a little yeah. more over the top. Which I mean, that that's fine if the right if the writing is good and it's described cinematically. I'm I'm all in. But uh, I have not read the book. I enjoyed the movie. Some people are. We're complaining about it initially. Some people think it's ridiculous, but I, it was like a very simple, reminded me of 80s level of simplicity with a, you know, a, a hostage right. and a hero. And just that it, it really reminded me of those 80s one man army films that really are just known as the 80s action genre, but really it's the, it's the one man army. And that's who the gray man is for sure. And I, I really enjoyed like the very simple, there's some, some turns but no real twists it doesn't have to it 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 had um about double the amount of main action set pieces that the typical film does so it was very heavy on the action but i didn't get bored of it or wish there was any more story like maybe some more description of why they chose him it's kind of left up to the imagination almost but i think i also think for it being called the gray man like he does get away with stuff i think they could have had him blend into some some bigger crowds and, and exfil himself from things yeah. a little bit better, but they didn't really present a situation for that to happen. It wasn't like he, there was a crowd of people and he made away in a helicopter. You know, that situation just never really arises in the film, but I like a, a lot of the action. I think the cringiest part for me is the train scene with, the, with the red Audi with Anna de Armas driving it. I think that's the, that's the cringiest, but it's once crazy, you get man. past that, I think the lead up to that made me kind of okay with it because the lead up is really cool, but the event of it actually taking place is like, come on. <laughs> and then after that, once you're past it, you're past it. You don't linger on it. It's not something that you revisit at all. I, 
I like the end. I like the it's just another Thursday line. I like oh, the backstory yeah. with the niece. Uh, I really actually did like the flashback scene of him of him protecting her. I like that little that that was the slowest point in the movie, and it's probably the one I enjoyed the most actually. Yeah, as uh, is him watching her. I think where in Tokyo, uh, Hong Kong, maybe. Yes. Okay, Hong Kong. But I love the guy's feet where he's trying to cover up the dead guy. He yeah. just took down, and the feet are dangling yeah. out. Oh, yeah. Oh, in the fight with the flashlights, that was a really cool yeah. glimpse. Yeah, I like that was like um, Obi Wan with the lightsabers in in that dark <laughs> desert. I, I love the flashlights in the house. I think the biggest uh, it wasn't like a cringe moment, but it, it was one of those moments where like, come on, was uh, the passport f- photographer trap? Oh, in the well, I was kind of yeah. disappointed in that, but the way he got out, he redeemed himself. I didn't care that he fell for it. I thought <laughs> him falling for it was a little far fetched, but literally. Pun, pun intended he fell falling for it, for it. <laughs> that that actually that scene is probably the closest to the book uh, they did a lot of the action pieces really really one one for one with the book yeah but something about the way the well scene was filmed i just felt like it was exactly like you were saying mm-hmm. how ray porter reads a book or reads the terminalist they really yeah. captured that here the gray man, the exact same thing happens with the well scene. But again, okay. if you sit there and you actually try to think too hard about how is he making this pipe bomb and how is he going to use the water to protect himself and blow up the glass and be able to yeah, get this out. This is where I go back to the one man army. I don't want to think about it. I just want to see what happens. And as long as it's as exactly. long as he's not shooting 20 rounds out of an eight round gun, I'm OK. And it was fine. I like how he comes out of there. He's yes. all business right through the, the mist from the explosion. Right. And, and executes a couple people pretty swiftly. But I like Ryan Gosling. I, yeah, for sure. I like Ryan Gosling in that role and his little quips and comebacks and stuff. I like uh, Chris Evans is the bad guy inviting him in for dinner. And he goes, no, thanks. I just had some Skittles. I don't know why I, I like stuff like that. Um, I agree. I kind of wish maybe some of Billy Bob Thornton's. Um, Wasn't he great? Buddies. Yeah, he was awesome. I haven't seen him in a film in a while. He was pretty awesome. But I wish he maybe he that his buddies were a little more loyal, even though he had to give it give the order verbally on the plane. I think maybe they should have questioned it a little more privately with six before just trying to execute him. But oh, his contractors on the plane. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they just he Billy Bob Thornton calls him and says, make it painless. And they go to kill him and he's ready with the fire extinguisher. But I just think it they should have been a little more negotiable if they, if they were ordered to have a history with six. But. It was what it was. It kicked it off. I like, I kind of like the, uh, the scene there with the hole in the side of the plane. And it was a little over the top from the get go. And it kind of gets you used to for the over the topness that is ahead. Absolutely. It's a primer. It really primes the pump. Yeah. You're right, though. You got to just entertain. You got to take the movie as pure entertainment. We had oh, some yeah, guests sure. on. I don't know if you heard it, but we had the Com Majors podcast. We love those guys. They're a great movie review podcast, just like you and just a tangent. They really know their stuff from a film perspective. Unfortunately, they didn't have good things to say about this film. Actually, they were overwhelmingly negative. I was the only (laughs) I was the only one in the group who liked it. And they really came at it from a this movie doesn't know what it wants to be or the gray man. There's too many themes and, and too many different tones. Tonally, they didn't know where they wanted to go. Yeah. But to me, the fact that it was just a mashup, like you're saying, it's an 80s, very simplistic. 
it's simplistic at the same time. Yeah. It's also just doing a mashup of so many different tropes For and sure. it's not taking itself too seriously. Uh, yes, I agree with that. I think that's I think that's the most important thing is that it doesn't take itself too seriously. So why should we? So why should we take it seriously? Yeah, it was you know? like one of those mindless summer blockbuster action movies that you can just sit back at its entertainment. There was some, I wouldn't say like overly realistic stuff, but I mean, some things that I could buy. Like there's some films that you're like totally checks you out of it. I didn't find any of those events really to do that other than maybe the train. But uh, no, I, I enjoyed it. I, I liked the music in it. I thought the cinematography was cool. Yes. A little too heavy on the CG at the beginning with the fireworks. I think some of that could have been done more practically, but I'm a big advocate for like practical effects over CG. Um, I think they work the best when they work together. And that one, that whole scene was primarily CG. Like if you're too heavy on one and, and the other kind of takes you out of the film. But yeah, that's true. I like that scene, um, especially the, the fight with, with four in the firework display thing was cool, but. Right. But no, I enjoyed it. I um I was gonna ask you before we wrap it up what if um you had a chance to check out any films that I had recommended. Um and for those listening I recommended Wind River and that was the main one. Oh, and nineteen eighty two's John Carpenter's The Thing. Right. I didn't get there, but uh I actually I put you also recommended and I heard on Just a Tangent, your podcast, uh Rush, and since I yes. am quite into formula one and motorsports right now I'm, I'm a new fan so thank you also guys tyler has been welcoming me into the f1 uh fandom as a lot of people yeah. are just getting into formula one <laughs> with the netflix show i know i'm bandwagon booming I'm jumping in the on. u.s yeah. uh, everybody is so it's not it and f1 fans don't view it that way they're very i was welcoming. gonna i wanted they, to know they, that they the highest attendance at any race uh in any season was last year the austin race that i that me and uh greg attended and it was an absolute blast and and the majority of the people i spoke with there were there because of of uh drive to survive so um i think it's pretty positive um, okay. i think the biggest negative that's coming from from it and the u.s popularity is the amount of races that are heading to the u.s like we had we've had austin since i think 2012 they're at vegas yeah, Miami first year was this year, and Vegas's first year is next year. So, uh, and next year we will have three total. And some of the Europeans are a little salty about that. Typically, there's one them. one race per country. Like Canada gets one, Mexico gets one, U.S. gets one. Right. That's how it's been for since 2012. Prior to Austin being a track, there was a little gap there where U.S. didn't have a race, but before that, it was at Indianapolis infield, I believe, back in like 05, 06 ish, mm. and then there was a there was a a pause there but um yeah so the europeans think that like each country should get a race and then yeah. that's it i don't also blame them for having a little backlash to this booming americans going crazy for f1 because half of people like me who are just getting into it are going to watch it for a few months and then yeah. not care about it anymore so they're probably right and it's superficial in that regard but but you're saying a lot of fans particularly american fans they're okay with newcomers like me because i don't want to I don't want people to be salty if I start pretending like I know what's going on in F1 just because I watched a series. No, they want the popularity to rise because they Throw want the, the Americans want the more more tracks here so we can enjoy, enjoy it more times of the year. Because some Americans were traveling to Canada or to Mexico to view races and now we don't have to. Um, so I think Americans are all for it because we're getting we're getting the goods. So, yeah, but um, yeah, welcome to the motorsports side of the house it's pretty fun there's a lot going on endurance racing endurance racing uh 
in WEC and uh, IMSA is going to be pretty exciting next year and the year after. There's typically the less manufacturers there are, the more boring it is. And there's uh, mm-hmm. some new some new manufacturers coming to that se- both mm-hmm. of those series next year and especially in 2024. I think there's going to be like eight manufacturers, which is huge. Oh it's, wow! Uh, okay. It's like it's like the type of field that you would see in like the 70s, like the, mm. the golden age. Well, we're going but, uh, on. Just let me a know when you rush, rush. Yeah, <laughs> I, I definitely will. So how about before we wrap up, you, you plug your podcast. Tell us what you're covering on it. What's what's down the road. And you guys have some great content over there. Yeah. So uh, just a tangent is uh, the podcast that I host with my co-host and my my cousin, Greg. Um, and we look at movies. We don't really do like hard reviews and like give a rating and stuff like that. We t- we like talking about more about how they were made and the writing and things we enjoyed. We don't even always talk about new stuff. Sometimes we'll just talk about stuff that's new to us or stuff that we really like that maybe we haven't talked about in a while. Like I think we had one episode that was on like animated films. We talked about some of our favorites. And now that we kind of have a little bit of a catalog, we have like under 20 episodes, I think, but still more than 10, I think in there. But uh, we're starting to kind of keep up with new stuff. Like we have an episode that's mainly on stranger things and a couple other TV shows like Obi one. And then the last episode that's up right now was on the terminal list to the episodes called stay off my list. And then the newest one that's uh, the next one that's in the pipeline is all on films that we've seen recently. So we covered top gun and Thor and a few others that, uh, that we caught like, uh, and our other Greg's sister and my other cousin, uh, Maddie, she guests on that one for us. Cause she really liked Top Gun and we had all seen Top Gun and Thor together. Nice. So, um, so she's a guest on there and it's more of a comedic episode than, uh, than some of the other ones. Sometimes nice. me and Greg are almost too monotone and serious. So we thought Maddie might help us laugh a little. You got to so, lighten um, the mood. We talked yeah. a little bit about Thor and Top Gun with our other guests from the Com Majors podcast. So I definitely want to get your take on it and, uh, and see how it compares. Cool. Yeah. Man. So sounds good. Uh, if anybody wants to, uh, to get in touch, which a few fans have from the last episode I was on, my Instagram handle is trd period tomahawk. If you want to reach out and and uh, start up a conversation, I have a actually a fan who um, has a streaming channel. We're going to be playing some PC games here in a couple weeks. So nice, awesome! I love to hear it. Well, thanks for joining us on No Limits for the second time, and we look forward to having you one day back for your third time. Yep, sounds good. Thanks, Mike.